Um, so uh, I would say happy Mother's Day to my mom, but she's not here. She decided not to spend Mother's Day with her children. She is on the island of St. Thomas today, which sounds like a great way to spend Mother's Day, to be honest with you. <laughs> I'm like, but she doesn't like us enough to spend time with us. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. She's probably watching right now. I love you, Mom. Um, actually, the reason why she went down there, she, so she's living the retired life. Anyone retired in the room? No, no. Yes, up in the balcony. Yes, we got some. At South, anyone retired? Um, she's living her best life because she's down in the Virgin Islands like multiple times a year. And now she doesn't just like go on vacation there. She like has friends there. And she has this, this one girl who is like her friend when she goes there. They're friends. They hang out all the time. They're, she's like my age. But, um, you know, replacement children, I guess, in retirement. No, I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. But um, this, this friend of hers was pregnant, and um, she doesn't have any family on the island. And so my mom was like, I'll fly down and help you as you deliver the baby. And I'll be with you for a few weeks to help you through getting settled with the baby. And I'm like, isn't that so sweet? I mean, you know, spend a couple weeks on an island in the Virgin Islands, not a bad idea. But the whole, you know, I'm gonna help you have the baby. That's so cool. Um, you know, there's something, about, there's something about motherhood that is really worth celebrating and really worth honoring. And it's this idea, and this is how God designed it. So this is not like what happens. This is like on purpose according to God's intent and design is that motherhood is literally this way of giving your life for the benefit of somebody else so that they can be well and healthy and situated well in life. And for that, listen, the mothers deserve honor tonight for the way that they have given their lives to the benefit of other people and namely their children. And so we wanna honor you for that because listen, that's the heart of God. And that looks like the heart of God to give your life for the benefit of somebody else. And I also just wanna say to the girls in the room here and at South and online right now, you may not physically have a child biologically, but the house of God still needs mothers. And you have the capacity to be a mother. You have the capacity to lead an example for other generations. You have the capacity to give your life for the benefit of other people. And if the house of God is healthy, it's because there are healthy women occupying the space of mothers in order to light the way for future generations. Amen? Oh, you ought to make some more noise than that. I know South is shouting it down right now. So I want, to take, I, I want to take a moment, and I'm not going to preach super long tonight because I need to worship tonight, and we're going to. Um, I, want to I want to take you to a story. It's a mom who uh, was in a really terrible situation. This is in 2 Kings chapter 4. This, this woman had a husband who was um, one of the prophets, which means that he was like a religious leader, but tragedy happens, and he dies. And he leaves behind his, his wife plus two children, and, and this has got to be so hard, but to make matters even worse, he left behind debt. And it was common in this day that when you died, if you had left debt behind you, it was common that your children would be taken into slavery in order to pay off the debt. Now that's terrible, right? And so this woman is in like the worst possible situation you could imagine. And so in 2 Kings chapter 4, it says that the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, he was the head prophet. Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? 
Now that's a weird question, right? Here is this woman who's in about as desperate of a situation as I could imagine. Um, having lost the love of her life and now at risk of losing her sons. It's a terrible tragedy. And yet Elisha, she comes to Elisha begging for a solution to her problem and an answer to her need. And Elisha goes back to her and says, okay, but what do you have? And I'm like, I'm not here to talk about what I have. I'm here because I don't have something that I need. I need money, Elisha. I gotta pay this thing off or I'm gonna lose my kids. Why are you talking to me about what I have? And you know, we've been talking about joy for the last, um, actually, couple months, about how, the, how God's ultimate ideal life for you is a life of joy. You with me? It's a life of joy. And every human being is craving a life of joy. And that's why human nature is to pursue different things that we think are gonna make us happy. And if we're not happy in life, we have a big problem with it. And we will make great sacrifices and go to great lengths in order to find ways to be happy in life. And do you know why? Because we were made for joy. According to original design, we were made, first of all, not to have sin, not to have brokenness, not to have any problems. And so Jesus comes in order to make our lives whole and healthy again. But the original intent was that we would be whole from the outset and out of that wholeness and completeness and sinlessness, we would live in a state of constant ecstasy and pleasure. And that feels real weird to say. But tell me, why does everyone pursue ecstasy and pleasure with their lives? Do you know why? Because we were made to want it. Because in Eden, that was life. In heaven, that's life. We were made for joy because God is a good God. And he is a God of joy. And so we have this need for joy and you and I will spend our lives trying to find it. But the truth is, is that we don't naturally have joy. Why? Because we got brokenness and we got sin and we got issues and, and life doesn't work the way it was supposed to work and people do us wrong and joy sometimes feels super elusive. And so we come to God a lot like this widow saying, I have a need Will you fill it? I need something to make my life make sense. But more than that, I need joy. Will you fulfill it? Will you answer the need? And then Elisha says back the weirdest question. But it's the same question God's asking you. He says, okay, you have this need. What do you have? Like, I'm not talking about what I have. I'm talking about what I don't have. And the woman says, here's what I have. I got nothing. She says, I don't have anything in my life. And then she's like, okay, but that's not really true. I have like one thing, but it does not amount to the debt. I have some things, but it can't get me what I really want in life. It can't really get me to joy. He, she's like, all I got is a little jar of olive oil. And then Elisha says, okay, well, God can use that. Because whatever is in your hand, listen to me, whatever is in your hand, God can use it. And so Elisha says, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. And then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. And they brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. And when all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. 
But he replied, there is not a jar left. And then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go and sell the oil and pay off your debts. And you and your sons can live off of what's left. Because when God provides, he doesn't provide just enough. He always provides more than enough. It was pay off your debts and then live. And then live a life of freedom. Live a life of joy. And so the challenge in the story, though, is that all she has is this little bit of oil. And normally when you and I are aware of our needs, what do we do with what's in our hand? Like we clench onto that stuff, right? It's like if I got one jar of oil and that's all I got and then I'm gonna die, you better believe I have measured that. I have counted that. Like I know exactly how many teaspoons of that I can use on any given day and how long that's gonna last me. I hang on to things. And some of you, you know, you're in a difficult situation right now because you have found a thing that you think is the answer to the thing and you have taken that thing and you have strangled the heck out of it to make sure that you don't lose it because what, that is what you are counting on to fulfill you. We do this to people a lot. It's like, I'm a mess, but you're not as much of a mess as I am and so I'm gonna hang on to you, but then I have to control you and I have to hold you and maybe even have to manipulate you to keep you around. Do you know why? Because I need you. And I strangle it. What happens when you strangle things? They die. Like it doesn't work, right? And so the challenge to the woman was, take what you have. Your, your nature is gonna be to hang on to it. Your nature will be to protect, to preserve, to control. Because that's what we do when we got needs. That'll be your nature, but here's what I want you to do instead. Act against your nature, and I want you to pour it out. Listen to this, into someone else's jar. Any moment they could come back and say, that's my jar, give it back to me. How risky was that? Think about the risk she was taking to dump that thing out. But yet, it was in the giving, it was in the pouring that she found the answer to her needs. Because that's how God works. Here's the principle from the story. Pouring out fills me up. Pouring out fills me up. Pouring out fills me up. And so if we're looking for joy, I wanna tell you that generosity unlocks joy. Generosity, generosity unlocks joy. Living a life where you hang on to what you've got will only make your world smaller. But when you live life with an open hand, even in face of your need, it will make your life larger. We have a promise in Proverbs chapter 11. The world of the generous, listen to this, gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed, and those who help others are helped. It's this promise where God's saying, if you give, I'll multiply what's in your hand. But the multiplication won't happen as long as you're hanging on to it. The multiplication will only happen when you start dumping it out. And, and listen, the, the dumping out, well, that can represent a lot of things. I can dump out my pride. Because sometimes when I got problems, man, do I defend my right to fix it myself. I can dump out my time because when I'm struggling, I get real protective of my time. I can dump out my money Hardest of all, right? Hardest of all. Because when I feel like I got needs, man, do I hang on to what I got? 
measure it, hang on to it, control it. But God says, actually, that's not how it works. The more you hang on, the less you'll have. The more you let go, the more you'll have. Like, that doesn't even make sense. That's not how this works, right? Like, there was one day this week where um, I had just, like, been super busy, and I did not take time to eat all day. How many of you have the blessing of hangriness? I got it bad. She got it, she got it bad. Just pops in my head. I had to sing it. Ursher. All right. Um, I had had a shot of espresso and a cappuccino for breakfast. For breakfast. I don't know. Listen, it wasn't breakfast. The shot, the shot of espresso is so that I am alive. The cappuccino is so that I can talk. All right. So that's what I had had. And I hadn't really eaten all day. And man, I got, I was dying. I was dying. And so when I finally got in front of food, let me tell you what my mindset was. If there's anything or anyone in between me and my food, I will roll you over and take you out because man needs to eat. Now, get out of my way. And then when I sat down to eat, I didn't even enjoy any of it. I just swallowed the whole thing in like one gulp, you know? And, and it makes sense. Like if I'm hungry, that's what I do. I find something to eat and I get laser focused on it. I gotta get what I need. But God says, yeah, but that's not how it works in the kingdom. And that's not how it works according to God's principle. God's principle is if you're hungry, go give some food to somebody else. And you're like, that's stupid. That doesn't even work. That's not how life works. And God's like, actually, it's exactly how the world works. And you only know it when you started to live it. But there is an irrevocable spiritual law that governs humanity. And it is true whether or not you believe in Jesus. It's true whether or not you believe in the Bible. It is true. And the truth is, is that what you plant in the ground will produce a harvest. And when you put a seed of generosity into the ground, it does not return to you in seed form. It returns to you in a multiplied harvest coming back into your life. And that's, yeah, come on, because that's an irrevocable spiritual law. You can't get away from it. And so if I want a harvest, I put the seed in the ground and I let it die. And then it produces a harvest. Same is true with what's in your hand. Same is true with how you meet your needs. How do you meet your needs? Give. My, my dad, my parents split up and got divorced when I was in like middle school. And, and my dad took it so hard. And I remember one night um, seeing him laying on the floor crying. He, he was, you know, devastated. A couple hours later, this was like, this, is, this must have been like a Saturday afternoon. A couple hours later, he says, Jason, get in the car. I'm like, all right, you know, they have anything to do. I was a middle schooler. What was I going to do, you know? And um, we went to the grocery store and we bought a bunch of cans of food. And we drove down to Market Square because back in the 90s, I know, I'm old. That's where um, homeless people hung out, was in Market Square before they redid it. And we um, took a, bunch of bags of canned goods and start handing them out to homeless people. And um, my dad started going back every single Saturday. My grandma yelled at him, said, how dare you take cans? We're gonna make them a home-cooked meal. And so next Saturday, she came over, she's making a home-cooked meal. And we're taking plates of chicken, you know, so they hand them out. That lifted my dad out of his depression. 
Well, that doesn't make sense. My dad should have gone to find love. Actually, no, my dad should have gone to pour out what he did have for the benefit of somebody else because that's how the kingdom works and that's how the purposes of God work. Putting a focus on getting will only ever make me empty, but putting a focus on giving is what makes me full. And we know that this is true. We know, we know that this is true because when all I see is my need, my need starts to control me. But when I see a purpose, the purpose starts to drive me. That's why focusing on need will only ever make me more poor. But focusing on the blessing and being a blessing will only ever make me richer. It's the purposes of God, but it works in the world. Also, don't give homeless people canned goods. They don't have can openers. We, we learned that the hard way. <laughs> the next week, my grandma took plates of chicken and can openers. It was like, sorry about last week. <laughs> Look at this verse in Ephesians chapter five. Watch what God does and then you do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents, mostly what God does is love you. We love love. Love wins, right? Love is the greatest. All you need is love, right? This is what our world believes. Love is greater than hate. Love trumps hate. There's all kinds of things, right? Love, love, love. What is love? Well, if there's no real definition, it's just a bunch of mushy feelings and it's subjective. It's up to you what love is. But that's not the standard that we've been given. You wanna know what love is? Here's what love is. Watch how Jesus loved. Well, now it gets hard because here's how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, it was extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Now love like that. Now you just raised the stakes on love. Because love is sacrifice. Love is letting go. Love is generosity. Love is pouring myself out for the benefit of somebody else. But I think we see this even in living example in, in like God's design for motherhood. There is a sense of fulfillment that comes into your life because you give your life for somebody else. You know, it's like, I do not have experience with this, but I have heard that it's like, when a woman gives birth, it's like this incredible pain, but then when you see the child, you remember the love more than you remember the pain, right? And, and why is that? It's God's design. The sacrifice is worth it. The sacrifice actually brings you purpose. The sacrifice gives you meaning. The sacrifice fulfills you. See, there's a fulfillment that's meant to come into your life that you'll never really step into until you've given. Another translation of that verse says, um, walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a sacrifice, as an offering and sacrifice to God. Love is sacrifice, love is giving. But we crave love. But love only comes through sacrifice. Love only comes through sacrifice. But, but this idea of fulfillment, this idea of joy, it seems counterintuitive to think that joy is gonna come because I'm giving. But I wanna tell you that it is generosity that unlocks joy. And as long as you live a self-centered life, you'll never have joy. It is impossible to be selfish and joy-filled. It's impossible to be selfish and joy-filled. We were made to find total fulfillment by giving ourselves away. It's God's design by giving ourselves away. And while we're on the topic of parenthood, men in the room, this applies to you as well. You will only be fulfilled when you lay your life down for the sake of another person. And until you have laid your life down for the sake of another person, you'll never really be fulfilled and you'll never know who you are. 
And the world tells you to be selfish and to go pursue your dreams. But I wanna tell you, God will be faithful to your dreams if you're faithful to his purposes, which is pouring yourself out for the benefit of other people. But I can't, go ahead, come on. But I can't, but I can't pour myself out for the benefit of other people if I'm driven by my need. And, and this is why a lot of relationships are toxic and don't work. It's because we expect other people to meet the needs that exist inside of our soul. And so we position ourselves in other people's lives as a taker, not as a giver. And, and it's not our fault we're a taker because we have needs living inside of us and we're desperate to get them met. And so when someone comes along who seems like they can meet my need, what do I do? I reach out and grab them and wrap my arms around them and say, I need you. I need you. But the truth is, is that when you grab onto something, you don't, it doesn't lead to life, it leads to suffocation. And so God, so God is saying, come to me and find out who you are. Come to me and find your strength. Come to me and find your purpose. Come to me and find your identity. And when you've discovered your identity in me, then you will be free to give your life away for other people. And that is when you experience love. That's why we're here tonight. Because I need Jesus to tell me who I am. And I didn't need him to do it once. I need him to do it every day, every hour. Because I forget. But when I don't know who I am in Jesus' eyes, I lose all my strength. And all of my focus just naturally starts to shift right back onto my knees. But when I know who I am in Jesus, I can give my life away. So we give from a position of strength, not from a position of weakness. There's nothing wrong with being strong. There's nothing wrong with acquiring. There's nothing wrong with building a stronger home with stronger finances. There is nothing wrong with that. But it is to serve a greater purpose. We give out of a position of strength. I want more money so I can give more money away, right? I want more strength. Why? So I can leverage it for the benefit of other people. But when it all becomes about me and my need, well, then it becomes toxic. And what does the Bible say? The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. I wanna introduce you to some people. They are the most joy-filled people I have ever met in my life. And they are not the people that you would think would be full of joy. I met them because technically, I was on a trip to go help them. Because we have resource that they didn't have. And I thought that I was going there to meet their needs. And in a very real way, there were some needs that we did meet through resource. But the truth is, is that I came away from meeting them realizing that I was not the poor one in the equation. Or sorry, that I was not the rich one in the equation. I said that wrong. Blew up everything I was trying to say. <laughs> I was not the rich one. They were the rich ones. And I was the poor one. Because while I had more money than they did, simply because of where I was born on earth, the truth, the truth is, is that they had way more fulfillment, contentment, and joy than anyone I'd ever met in my life. The first time I traveled to Uganda, I expected to see a lot of poverty, and we did. But the greatest poverty that I saw was in my own heart. The poverty of my own selfishness, where everything is always about me and what I can acquire and how I can get more. And I realized that as long as I live that way, I'll never truly be rich and I'll never truly have joy. So if you've been around for the last couple months, you know that, um, or really at all, 
you've, you've known that we've had two child development centers in Uganda that we support. One of them we've supported for 12 years now. The other just for the last couple. And that we've given a lot of money to help resource them. And both centers have over 300 children that are sponsored through the centers. And just within the last few months, we gave large gifts to both of them, both of the centers in order to help equip them even further. And every single person who gives here at Amplify, you are the reason why this is possible. So go ahead, because they wanted to say thank you, but we're gonna let them do it in their own words. Go ahead and show us. Hello, I'm called Fred Sally, pastor of Deliverance Church Mukono and the overseer of Mukono Child Development Center. I salute you all our friends in Amplify Church in the Lord's name. We are so grateful to the Lord for the partnership he gave us with Amplify Church. We want to appreciate you for the gift you've given us. Thank you. We used much of it to construct a skills training center so that we can empower the youths in the community and other people with the skills so that they can improve their livelihood. May the good Lord bless you. Pastor Lee and Mama Linda, Pastor Jason and Ami Joe and the rest of the leadership, the good Lord bless you. All our friends in Amplify Church, we pray for you. That may the good Lord remember you for all the seeds you've sown to make people in Uganda, especially in a better people. God bless you. God bless you so much. Our joy is to see all beneficiaries thrive in all aspects of life and become change agents in the community. I'm very happy for this opportunity God has given me to pass over this message to all our supporters from the Amplified Church. I would like to appreciate God for touching your hearts and for accepting to for accepting to support a good number of our beneficiaries to be released from poverty in Jesus' name. Through the gifts you have given our beneficiaries, families have been able to address their basic needs and start up income generating activities. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the gifts that you sent to us. Thank you for those encouraging messages that you sent. We love you and we love you so much. May God bless you. On behalf of us all, I want us, I want you to give yourself a hug on behalf of Mukono CDC. Just do your arms like this and you bring them just towards yourself. Ah. Thank you, we love you, we love you, and bye. Waiting to see you. Bye-bye. Can we do it for the rest of the day today? We love and love and love you. We love you. Come on, isn't that awesome? So awesome. It's so amazing. Um, you know, I think that the world that we live in, you know, here in our culture, it's so focused on getting stuff out of life, so focused on what we can acquire and achieve. And, you know, the world tells us something that's really just honestly not true. The world tells us that the more that we get, the happier that we'll be. But that is not true. And I saw it firsthand by visiting our friends in Uganda because they don't have anywhere near as much resource as we do. You know, and yet what they have to do is link arms with each other and say, we'll figure it out together and we'll make life work together. 
and you see, you know, people taking in children who are not their children, and it's like normal. It's just like nothing ever happened. You see people giving out of the little that they have to bless other people, and you realize that our wealth doesn't equal joy, and their poverty doesn't equal despair. In fact, it is their lack of resource that I think allows them to have a different perspective on life and to see things differently than we see it. Because when they're focused on other people, it leads to real joy. And they live that way because they have to live that way. And I think maybe we could all learn from that, right? The more that I focus on what I can give, the more joy that I'll have in my life. Amen? Proverbs chapter 22, it says, He who has a generous eye will be blessed, for he gives of his bread to the poor. I'm like, what's it mean to have a generous eye? Well, I, I think that it means that generosity is not something that you do, but it is a way of seeing the world. Generosity is a way of seeing yourself and seeing other people. And so I can see everything through the lens of what you can do for me, or I can see everything through the lens of here's how I can make a difference for other people. Hey, Amplify, if we're gonna change the world, it's gonna be because we've learned generosity. If we're gonna build other people's lives, it's gonna be because we've learned generosity. Because we're generous with our serving, we're generous with our giving, we're generous with our words, we're generous with our time, that's how we change the world. And, and generosity isn't just financial, although of course it is, but generosity trickles down into every area of our life. Because you know, you can be generous with encouragement, right? Like your words can be generous. The Bible tells us that life and death are in the power of the tongue. I wonder if there's somebody in your life that's starving to death right now because of a lack of encouragement that they're not getting from you. You know, and, and I believe that in our world tends to be negative and sarcastic and cynical and complaining. And do you know what all of that does? Shrinks the whole world down. But I have this dream that Amplified Church would be the exact opposite. You come here and there are gonna be people who speak life to you. You come here, there's gonna be people who speak encouragement to you, who build you up, who understand that my words can cause life to come into you. I want my children to hear, yes, correction from me because they need to know what is life-giving and what is not. But I want them to hear correction on top of a foundation of relentless encouragement that I'm for you, that I believe in you, that you've got great things to give into the world. Therefore, here's why you must choose this instead of that that they would live life built on a foundation of encouragement. And I know that my words as a father have greater weight than I could imagine because they will remember things that I will forget 30 seconds later. They'll still have it in their heads 30 years later. And your words can build life. Hey, let's be encouraging here in this house. All right? You can be encouraging with, you can be generous with your encouragement. You can also be generous with forgiveness. You know, some of you here today, Mother's Day is hard and, and it's because you've been hurt. And you got strained relationships. And you do not want to forgive. Because you feel like forgiving is going to mean that it was acceptable and excusable. But forgiveness does not mean that it was acceptable. Forgiveness also does not give you the freedom or the... Forgiveness does not mean that you give that person permission to come in and keep wreaking havoc in your life. Forgiveness also does not mean that you trust, but forgiveness does mean that their wrong will not rule you, that their wrong will not control you, and that you will give them grace, you will give them understanding, even if they don't deserve it. And if you would be generous with forgiveness, you'll see life come from it. 
And by the way, you'll be walking in freedom if you do. You can be generous, of course, with money. I mean, Jesus said that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you wanna know what matters to you, it is written out for you in very, very crystal clear language every time you open up your bank account statement. This is what matters to you. This is what you value. And of course, if there's generosity living in your heart, it shows up in your money. Because what you do with your money is only ever a reflection of what's in your heart and what you value, right? Some of you need to make the decision to be generous. And you're like, I can't be generous. I don't have enough money. Well, that's exactly what the woman said. The woman with the jars. I don't have anything. And Elisha said, I didn't come up here talking to you about what you don't have. I came up here talking to you about what you do have. Because if you would learn how to practice the principle of generosity with what you do have, God will multiply it. And the truth is, is that I have never met someone who is generous with a six-figure income who was not first generous with a minimum wage income. Because you don't learn it when you have lots. Because when you have lots, if you haven't learned generosity, lots is never lots. And it's never enough because it's shocking how much you think six figures is everything until you have six figures and then you're like, it's still not enough. Why? Because if we learn how to focus on our need, it's always not enough. But if we learn how to focus on our giving and our generosity and what we can do, it's always more than enough. And so learn how to be generous with the Wendy's paycheck because then you'll learn how to be generous with the Wall Street paycheck before you get there. Hey, we can be generous with money, but we can also be generous with attention. Generous with attention. That's what my kids need from me. They need me to look them in the eye, get down on their level, and pay attention to them. The truth is, is that the thing that they're gonna remember, the thing that's gonna shape them and form them is not whether or not they had a nice house with a nice bed and meals. Yes, of course I wanna provide that for them. I'm a father, it is my duty to do that. But the thing that's, that they're gonna remember the most is whether or not I gave them my attention because that communicates that they matter. And can I just say that you have a weapon in your pocket and that it fights for your attention all day, every day. And if you let that weapon win the fight, everyone you love will pay for it. And smartphones, they are helpful, but man, can they destroy relationships. No, Instagram is not more important than the person sitting in front of you. So turn it off, shut it off, put it away, and give your attention where it belongs. All right, I gotta keep going. We can also be generous with our opinions. We can be generous with our opinions. I wonder what opinion you have about other people. Oh my gosh, anyone on Facebook this week? How those opinions sound to you? It's like, Everyone who disagrees with me is a demon and they're not even a human being and they're awful and they deserve to be shouted down as loudly as possible. I have strong beliefs about a lot of things. I have strong beliefs that I believe are rooted in the word of God and so therefore they are very black and white. But that does not give me the right to dehumanize someone who doesn't agree with me. And it does not give me the right to treat them like they are an enemy because they are not, they're still my brother, they are still my sister. And we've got to be careful about the opinions that we have and whether or not we are generous with our opinions. All right, so quickly, four things that describe the impact of your generosity. Can I give them to you quick? You with me? Four things 
that describe the impact of our generosity. First, generosity gives my normal life supernatural purpose. I love the principle of tithing. Tithing is you take 10% of what God has given to you, in other words, 10% of your income, because ultimately it's acknowledging that my income didn't come from my boss, it didn't come from my company, and it didn't come from my talent. My income came from God. I take 10% of it and I give it back towards the work of God through the local church. That's the principle of the tithe. But what I think is so powerful about tithing is the impact that it has on your everyday life. Because when you start tithing, even if you're only working minimum wage at McDonald's, that shift at McDonald's now isn't just a shift at McDonald's to pay rent. When you start tithing, that shift at McDonald's is now an opportunity for you to bring heaven to earth, to displace hell in our city, and to establish the goodness of God in a broken world. Why? Because my shift at McDonald's became something much greater than a shift at McDonald's. It took on supernatural purpose. And that's how tithing affects your everyday life. It's not just a job. It is an opportunity for you to establish the kingdom of God on the earth. So don't undercut, don't undersell what you do day in and day out by making it all about you. Because if it's all about you, it'll get smaller and smaller and it'll never be enough. But it's about something greater than you, it'll get larger and larger and the jars will start to multiply before your eyes. Pouring it out, give me another jar. And God's like, I'm so glad there's another jar right next to you. I just slid it into your life. Dump some more out. Number two, generosity takes power away from the parts of me that keep me miserable. See, there are parts of me that are constantly beckoning me to stay miserable, to be miserable. That's why we say that joy is this protest against the wounds in my life that are begging me to choose defeat. And every day of our lives, we've got reasons to stay miserable, to be miserable. But you know what generosity does? It takes their power away. Because when you give, it kills off your tendency to be selfish. And you owe it to your spouse, to your kids, to the people in your small group, to kill your selfishness off. Your selfishness is keeping you miserable, so kill it. How do you kill it? You act in defiance of it. How do you act in defiance of selfishness? You give. Number three, generosity builds trusting relationships. If you have got a friend who you go out with regularly. And every single time that you go out with them, they didn't bring their wallet and they need someone else to pay the tab. Are you gonna keep going out with them? No. Now, if you have a friend who is always the very first to pick up the check, who is always looking to pay for everybody else, what are you gonna do about them? You're gonna keep going out with them, right? It's like, what are you doing tomorrow night? Let's go. Why? Because generosity builds relationship. We all know that's true. Stinginess kills relationship. Generosity builds relationship. Generosity also builds trust. Because when there's someone in my life who is generous, it communicates some things to me on a subliminal level that I understand. It tells me that this person is not in my life to use me. This person is not in my life to take advantage of me. This person is not in my life to get something out of me. One simple act of generosity causes my heart to say, I can trust this person. And so if you have a relationship today, 
where there is a gap in your trust, you know how you build that trust back? Start being generous. Because it's gonna tell them, I'm not here to get, I'm here to give. And that is a trustworthy person. And number four, the last one. When my life makes someone else's life better, I feel pleasure. Y'all watched that video of Uganda? Saw the playgrounds, saw the buildings, heard them say the impact that it's making in the world. How many of you watching that sat back and said, that's stupid? It's like, no one said that. It's impossible to say that. Do you know why? Because when you help people, you can't be miserable, you can't be negative, and you can't be cynical. Helping people changes you. And so every single person who has ever given even $5 in the offering here at Amplify Church, you see that video and you feel better about your life because you're like, look what, look what I was a part of. I was a part of helping people. I was a part of making a difference on the earth. And listen, I'm making something change for some people and it makes me feel more valuable. It makes me feel better about my life. Do you know why it does? Because that's how God wired you. God wired you to give and feel pleasure to make a difference for someone else and to feel good. That's why joy is unlocked by generosity. Generosity unlocks joy. But just think for a second about the God that we serve and how every single one of us are on the receiving end of the most radical, extravagant generosity that we could possibly fathom. Think about the fact that when we were sinners, when we were broken, when we had turned our backs on God, that God did not respond by yelling at us. How did God respond? He left his throne in heaven, put on flesh and bones, and got down into the dirt and the mud where I lived. And he got involved in my mess. And he looked me eye to eye, and he did not yell at me. He looked me eye to eye, and he said, I came not to get something from you. I came to heal you. Because I didn't have anything that he needed in the first place. But he came, and then what did he do? He went to a cross where he allowed Roman soldiers to crucify him, to drive nails into his hands and his feet, where he was high and lifted up, hung on a cross, where he suffocated to death. Why? Because he was standing in my place, dying the death that my sin demanded. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. In other words, as he's hanging there suffocating, he's thinking about me in my brokenness and in my pain. And he's saying, I love Jason too much to have heaven without him. So what I'll do is I'll lay down my life. I'll sacrifice my very breath for the sake of Jason. And then three days later, he rises from the dead and he gives me, who does not earn it and could not deserve it, resurrection life. Think about the generosity of God. How radical, how extreme, how undeniable. And that's what we're on the receiving end of tonight. Every single one of us. So how do you respond to that? How do you respond to that? You respond by saying, God, you are the greatest. You are the most amazing source of love and life that I could ever know. You are everything. 
And then you start to let that love live inside of you. And that's why believers in Jesus ought to be the most radically generous people on the planet. Because that's the nature and heart of our God.